The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagger. Presenting Season 8, Collision. Collision, Part 7. Written by Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Mercedes Lackey. Red Savior 2 would be prepared for a fight when she landed at Entry 1. She couldn't sit on the sidelines any longer, relaying commands for her teams and watching as they were put into conflict with the enemy, again and again, while she was safe. Her every instinct had screamed at her that she needed to be there. Once the shield over Ultima Thule was brought down, she had her opening. She had barely finished stating that she was going to join the main assault before she left her command and control desk, sprinting for the door. Art of War, the masterful tactician and strategist that he was, must have seen the move coming somehow. He had already made allowances for her specifically to do what she had done, before she even knew she was going to do it. Her team was ready and waiting for her. Rosalka, the World War II-era water manipulator, was originally going to lead the team, but immediately deferred to the commissar. Formed around her were the rest— Upir with her trusty KS-23 shotgun, her pale face contrasting with the black and red CCCP uniform she wore. Chug stood by Thea's side, scratching a crude drawing in the dirt with the tip of one of his rocky toes. He was particularly reserved right now. Natalia noted that he was keeping his distance from the last two members of the team, keeping Thea and Rosalka between himself and them. The last two were Flynn's and Marowit. They were twins, both psionicists transferred from Russia by Workers' Champion. Flynn's was a lethal psionicist. The tall, thin man with sharp features hardly ever spoke, but could kill with a thought, shutting down the central nervous system of a person if he concentrated hard enough. Next to him was his sister, Marowit. She seemed to be able to keep her brother, who was somewhat disturbed, in line. Her meta-powers seemed to be similar to her brother's. She was able to influence dreams or nightmares, some such thing. She did the talking for both of them, reading his mind and then relaying his thoughts. Natalia knew that Marowit had previously been KGB, and at some unspecified point had left the organization, returning with her brother in tow shortly after the invasion. It was heavily implied in rumors that Flynn's had been used in a covert assassination program during the Cold War and even after, but none of it was substantiated. Natalia didn't have very many dealings with the pair. They did their duties satisfactorily, were up to date on all of their reports, and otherwise kept to themselves. Understaffed as she was in Atlanta, each warm body she could procure was welcome. The ride with the mass of other Swifts was spent mostly in silence. Occasionally, Thea would talk with Chug, calming him. He didn't like aerial rides very much, preferring to stay on the ground whenever possible. As they neared Ultima Thule, the commissar could see the thick columns of smoke rising from all areas of the city. There were constant explosions in the sky over the city, as well as on the ground, Incoming missiles and artillery, many being intercepted by the defense grid of energy turrets that the Kriegers had set up. Still, some were getting through, smashing the enemy and helping her comrades where they did. 
When Natalia Swift landed at Entry 1, it was amidst chaos. There were hundreds of troops and vehicles moving, unloading equipment, personnel, and more vehicles. Armored personnel carriers were being dropped in on specially outfitted Swifts. Some were mounted with mobile echo broadcast units, while others ferried men to the front lines of the fighting. There were also the wounded, so many dozens of them, being loaded up into the Swifts just as soon as there was room for them. Natalia spotted the echo healer Einhorn running in the direction of the wounded soldiers after she had dismounted one of the other Swifts. Dave, Dave! There are fascistas spilling our comrades' blood! She was the first one off of the Swift, leading the way. Her personal HUD already had the location of Spearhead Group and Red Team pulled up, with a route that would get her team there the fastest. She calculated the distance in her head. Still not fast enough. She scanned the forward staging area, then settled quickly on an alternative. Follow me! Running, she led her team to a group of VDV, elite Russian airborne troopers, who were assembling around a pair of APCs. I am Commissar Natalia Shostokovaya, callsign Red Savior 2, leader of the CCCP. I will be commandeering this vehicle and all of you men, she said forcefully in rapid-fire Russian. The non-commissioned officer that was in charge of the squad conferred with his men, then nodded. With some shouting and jostling, the airborne troopers and Natalia's team piled into a BMP-3, a sturdy Russian armored personnel carrier. Everyone that couldn't fit into that one was put into a BMD-2, a specialized version that the VDV often used. Once the hatches were secure, the heavy diesel engines roared to life, and both vehicles cruised out of the ready area and towards the fighting, the BMD in the lead. The interiors were cramped, with very little room for anyone to do so much as scratch themselves. Chug was very nervous at this point, rocking back and forth gently. Thea was still trying to keep him calm, telling him that soon they would be outside and that he could protect his friends from the bad mans, but this did little to ease him. He seemed to be very shy, not looking at any of the airborne soldiers. Chug, Thea said. These are being sturdy Russians, just like you. They will protect you, and you will protect them. Da? Chug, still looking bashful, managed a craggy smile. Okay. Chug can do that. Overwatch Vixter Red Savior. Da, Red Savior here. Over. I just juggled things so you get Gamayun all to yourself. If you need me, shout. Orasha, we will need her. She paused for a moment, then said more quietly. Thank you. Red Savior, over and out. Gamayun here, Commissar. I am following you on the map. Unlike Victrix, who was still back in Atlanta, Gamayun was physically on the ground here in the Himalayas, at the forward medical unit. In fact, the nearest area they thought was safe. Her talent was a limited area remote viewing. Holding an inverted shot glass over a map, she had an almost prescient view of what was going on there. The range of her ability was only about ten miles. While she had been first tagged for use in espionage, the limits of her powers and the utility of spy satellites kept her shelved, until the CCCP found her to be the perfect coordinator for patrols. 
Now she would apply her skills here, in full combat, utilizing the lessons she had learned sitting in the CIC of the CCCP in Atlanta. So she would be a second set of eyes on their path, watching for ambush, besides Vicky's flying cameras. Natalia was more than grateful to Victrix for this. There were only so many of those cameras, and they could not be everywhere. To have arranged for Gamayun to be assigned only to her group. Poriats may well be spluttering into his helmet right now. Surely it took magic to accomplish this. Perhaps she gave him a camera of his own. He always did trust technology over people. It didn't take long before the two APCs came into contact. The explosions were constant outside of the metal skin of the vehicles, and were growing closer the further into the city they went. Several times the vehicles would be rocked on their tracks. The Russians within remained stoic, or did their best to appear that way. The woman was unable to get any other words through before explosions. This time, right next to the vehicles, rocked the earth. Blood! The driver of the lead BMD was shouting over the comms. Immediately, both vehicles began firing their main guns and the coaxial machine guns in long, ragged bursts. Both vehicles continued to speed forward, trying to clear the kill zone of the ambush. Some of the soldiers around Natalia began praying, others clutching their AK-74s in death grips. Damn it! This route was supposed to be cleared! There was a tremendous explosion, and the BMP that they were riding in skidded to a halt, causing everyone to slide into each other. The crew was shouting for everyone to dismount. They were still firing the chain gun and the main cannon as quickly as they could, the gunner frantically turning the coaxial weapons as the turret ponderously rotated between each shot. The VDV troops were the first out, followed by Natalia and her team. She charged her fists, ready to fight. She was almost staggered by what she saw as she rounded the side of the BMP. The BMD that had been in the lead was a smoking ruin, its cannon canted wildly into the air. Three VDV troopers ran to the hatch at the back, prying it open to try to get any survivors out. The only thing that came out was a wash of flame and black smoke. Their commander shouted for them to clear away from it before the munitions cooked off. Natalia could barely hear anything over the sound of the remaining APC's weapons. The VDV soon added their own weapons fire to the cacophony. Commissar, you have ambushers on both sides, rooftops and streets, mostly unarmored with four troopers that I can see. The street is blocked by the downed BND. You will have to proceed on foot. Calling in close air support, but they are up to their ears in it already. Natalia glanced at the map overview of her area. She saw the positions that the enemy had chose. It was a good ambush spot, with plenty of shooting positions and not much cover for her people. She decided to act immediately, before they could become bogged down. Chug! Get the tin soldier men! Upir, Rosalka, the left flank! Flins, Merowit, with me on the right! Support the VDV! She didn't have to wait to see what her people would do. She knew that they were already starting to carry out her orders. Thea's shotgun immediately began to bark a response, and Chug let out a gravelly roar as he charged forward. Natalia searched for her own targets. There. A group of four Kriegers were on a rooftop, shooting down with energy weapons and throwing grenades at the VDV. 
Kicking off the ground on a plume of her metahuman energy, she flew to the side of the building, staying close to it so that she wouldn't be a target for them. Once she was past the edge of the rooftop, she spun around, then killed her flight. She had it timed right at the apex of her momentum and came down on the roof as if she had simply stepped down a foot. As soon as her feet touched down, she went into a forward roll. Her position was right behind the Kriegers, and none of them had seen her. Coming up in a crouch, she added extra power to her charged fists. Her first punch broke the back of one of the Kriegers, almost folding him in half before he was catapulted forward over the ledge of the building. Belatedly, the others turned to face her, but she was already among them. She kicked the energy pistol of the nearest Krieger, causing it to discharge into the rooftop before it could be brought to bear on her. She spun around, snapping her head with the movement so that she could keep eyes on her target. An energy-charged backhand decimated the Krieger's face, leaving it in smoking ruins and breaking the creature's neck. The second-to-last Krieger screamed, pulling out a knife and lunging for her. She juked to the left, then the right, pushing him in the back and causing him to go flying past her in a dive, landing face-first on the roof. The other Krieger was fumbling with one of his grenades. The other Krieger was fumbling with one of his grenades. Natalia dissipated the energy in her right hand, unholstered her Marikov, and shot Thulian three times in the face before holstering her pistol again. He fell to the roof, the unarmed grenade still in hand. The Krieger with the knife had recovered, spitting blood. He ran at her again, all reckless abandon. Natalia smiled wolfishly, waiting for him. When he was near enough, she charged her fists, then dashed forward to meet the Krieger. He was caught off guard and faltered at the last second. A flurry of energy-charged punches pummeled his body, pulping bone and organs. Finally, she grabbed the barely living Thulian by the throat and delivered a final uppercut blow, sending him through the air. She glanced around herself, looking for more targets, momentarily forgetting that she could find them in her HUD. And a burst of fire in the distance caught her attention. She did a double-take as she focused on it, her jaw dropping open a little. Boz, my! Surely that was not a... dragon? A dragon the size of... what? A soccer field? Easily! And what was that, flying about it, harassing it like a pair of overly ambitious fireflies? Fireflies? Fire? Gamayun! she barked, but got no response. Cursing silently, she tried another. Overwatch! Victrix! Busy with Dragon, J.M. and Sarah! The little mage rasped back. Well, that was what she wanted to know, wasn't it? Nechevos, possible, she replied. Overwatch! Gamma! But she didn't get a chance to finish the word, as the sizzle of an energy weapon bolt passed within a foot of her head. Now cursing not at all silently, she dove for cover. She inched towards the edge of the roof, then turning her head sideways to present as small of a target as possible, and peeked over it. She saw where the energy blasts were coming from, another group of Kriegers on a rooftop across the street. She cursed, and then her hand bumped into something small and cylindrical, the Thulian grenade. Natalia studied the device for a moment. It was exceedingly simple, evidently modeled on the old Nazi potato masher grenades, but with a different arming mechanism. 
Instead of untwisting a cap on the bottom and yanking on a pull cord, it came with a safety cap and an activation stud. She ripped the safety cap off, the part that Dedthulian had been having trouble with, and mashed down on the stud before throwing it across the street. It landed among the Kriegers firing at her and went off a split second later. The sphere of energy engulfed all four of them, as well as part of the building they were stationed on. Everything the sphere touched disintegrated. Fitting, using the scum's own foul weapons against it. She leaned over the edge, still careful not to expose herself as she surveyed the street below. The rest of the Krieger ambush was folding. Upir and Rusalka had been able to put down a squad of unarmored Kriegers with the assistance of the VDV. Natalia watched as Rusalka ordered all of the airborne troopers to empty their canteens, then used her meta-ability to weaponize the spilled water. It flew through the air, controlled by Rusalka, to blind and smother the Kriegers as she concentrated it on their faces. It was quick work for Thea to rush in with her shotgun and put each of the Thulians down judiciously. The VDV had taken some more injuries while assaulting the other positions, but thankfully no one else looked critical. None of the VDV had assisted Flins and Marowit. From the way the normally unflappable troopers were moving and talking with each other, Natalia got the impression that none of them wanted to go near the two metas. Both of them had stayed behind cover, eyes closed for concentration. Within moments, the screams started. One Thulian was clutching his head as blood streamed from his eyes, ears, and nose before he fell to the ground, dead. Another began shouting, unholstered his pistol, and started shooting several of his compatriots before he was put down by them. The survivors all then began to claw at their own flesh. Some were crying, others were screaming, and most disturbing of all, some were laughing hysterically. The horrific chaos lasted only a few moments before all of them had found appropriately large veins, tore them open with their own hands, and collapsed, bleeding out, onto the pavement. Finally, there was Chug. He had rushed the Krieger troopers headlong, bellowing at them. Several energy blasts had impacted directly with his squat, rocky body, one blast even catching him full in the face. His pace never slowed. The actinic energy only left his stony exterior slightly smoking on the surface. He crashed into the troopers, knocking them down like bowling pins. He had kept them off balance, knocking each one down as they attempted to get up. The VDV soon saw the opportunity that the CCC pier was creating. The chain gun and coaxial gun opened up, targeting the joints of the Kriegers. The gunners didn't have to check their fire too much. Any stray rounds that happened to hit Chug simply ricocheted off or splattered against his hide. Soon, all but one of the troopers was immobilized, their joints destroyed, and blood and other fluids oozing from the mutilated metal. The final one was able to snap a blast off. It took a single VDV soldier directly in the chest, killing him instantly. Chug plodded up behind the remaining Krieger, gripping its helmet with both hands. Bad mans! Mineral tears were streaming down his face as he grunted once, pulling with all of his strength. The Krieger flailed its arms for a moment, and then stopped moving altogether when the helmet, head still inside, came free. With a wordless, angry shout, Chug threw the gory trophy. It embedded, faceplate facing outward, in the side of a building, like a twisted piece of modern sculpture. Chug sniffled, wiping some of the tears away with the back of his hand. 
Bad mans don't hurt Chug's friends. Upir started forward to go to Chug's side, apparently to comfort him, but immediately staggered backwards a step. Natalia's head snapped up in the direction that Thea was looking and understood why her comrade had been so taken aback. It was another dragon. This one was longer and thinner than the one she had seen Murdoch and Sarah engaging. It didn't have arms or legs, only a sleek and continuous snake-like body after the massive head. It was flying through the air like the other dragon, baleful Fulian orange light showing past its segmented armor as it twisted and turned in the air. Its head turned, focusing on Chug. He was easily one hundred meters away from the rest of the team. Everyone began shouting to him at once, telling him to run, but he only looked confused, still sniffling in the middle of the street. The dragon surged forward, the trunk of its body filling the wide street as it barreled towards Chug. When it was within twenty meters of the short metahuman, it loosed an ear-splitting streak. Only then did Chug turn, just in time to disappear within the gaping maw of the dragon. Natalia screamed with inexpressible fury and anguish. For the first time in this entire war, she felt herself frozen, unable to move, riveted in place by a needle of emotional agony. She wanted to charge the unnatural construction, to pummel it to pieces, and yet she could not move. It was not only pain that held her in vice-like jaws. It was guilt. She had thought that she could never hurt as much as when Petrograd, one of her oldest, dearest friends, had sacrificed himself to save them all from sarin gas in the invasion. But no. This was worse. So much worse. Poor, innocent, devoted Chug. And it was her fault. She should never have brought him on this mission. She should have ordered him to stay with the rest of them. Or left him to guard Soviet. This was her fault, another comrade gone senselessly, and it was her fault. Boreas was right. Her recklessness was what had killed them all, every friend that had ever depended upon her. The BMP began firing all of its weapons a moment later, focusing on the head of the dragon. Nearly all of the VDV opened up with their individual weapons as well. AK-74s and Pechenegg machine guns filled the air with a storm of lead, all of which was completely ineffective against the armored hide of the dragon. Air support en route, Commissar. Jets will distract the dragon while your force retreats. Gamayun's voice was quiet. With her ability, she would have seen what had happened to Chug better than if she had been there herself. Natalia wished that her overwatch rig was like any other comm device right then. That way she could tear it off and smash it beneath her boot. Instead, she simply acknowledged the message and was about to issue the order for everyone to retreat. Until the dragon roared again, focusing on her contingent. It had coiled upon itself, like a rattlesnake, ready to spring forward and attack. Natalia watched it as it began to uncoil, using that stored energy to launch itself at her and her comrades, but the dragon hesitated at that last moment. Its face was mechanical, and betrayed no emotion other than the feral hatred that had been etched into its features by its creators to strike terror into the hearts of its enemies. But its body language was a different matter. There was apprehension there. What is the damnable beast waiting for? Does it toy with us? 
the dragon looked as if it was going to start its attack again, when it paused, and then reared up, an unmistakable shriek of agony issuing from its head. The dragon thrashed back and forth, destroying entire buildings in its pain and sending showers of rubble flying through the air. Do the BMP! Take cover! Natalia was too far away, but she could at least make sure that her comrades were safe. They were too spread out, and there was far too much debris falling to earth, some of it already crashing to the ground and exploding. Someone was bound to be in the wrong spot at the wrong time. Not if I can be helping it. She kicked off of the roof on a plume of her meta-energy, flying into the air. She judged that even with her fists fully charged with energy, she wouldn't be able to break some of the bigger pieces without being crushed herself. For those, she focused on redirecting them, pushing them out of the way with a meta-powered shove. The smaller pieces she was able to pulverize, discharging the energy from her fists in devastating blows. It was like trying to swat rain as it fell, however. There was so much rubble flying through the air and she couldn't keep up. A soccer ball-sized chunk of stone clipped her in the shoulder, spinning her like a top and breaking her concentration. Even with the echo nano-weave stiffening and absorbing some of the kinetic energy, Natalia felt as if her entire shoulder was on fire. The next chunk caught her square in the back, knocking the wind out of her and causing the edges of her vision to go black. She fought for consciousness, seeing the ground rushing up to meet her. Falling! Falling! At the last moment, she was able to release her meta-energy from the bottom of her feet, breaking her fall. She still landed hard, knocking her head against the cobble street. A cool, silent darkness engulfed her, and she stopped thinking. She didn't know how long she had been out. She came too sputtering for breath, fighting with her spasming diaphragm to force air into her lungs. She felt hands loop under her arms, dragging her forward. She struggled for a moment, until she saw that the uniforms attached to those arms were covered in VDV pattern camo. Two of the airborne soldiers were carrying her to the back of the BMP. There, Thea was waiting, her gloves off and her face glowing. Several of the soldiers already in the BMP, as well as Rosalka, were looking noticeably paler. As soon as she reached them, Thea pressed her hands to Natalia's face. Immediately she felt more clear-headed, and her breathing more under control. Standing under her own power, she rushed to the side of the BMP, looking down the street. The dragon was still out there, and still thrashing. The dragon spasmed a final time, shrieking futilely into the air before it collapsed to the ground, like a long rope dropped from a height. Its head fell to the east, crushing a row of buildings, the tail doing the same in the west. It rolled along towards the BMP. Natalia thought it would actually reach them, crushing the APC like the buildings, when it skidded to a halt, throwing up cobbles and blocks of stone. The middle of the seemingly dead dragon lay draped in the street. Could it be the firebombs? Murdoch and Sarah? What brought it down? Slowly, the rest of her team and the VDV dismounted from the back of the BMP. Everyone kept their weapons trained on the body of the dragon, wary about what new horror might visit them. There was a thumping noise coming from the section in front of them. Natalia charged her fists. Whatever happened, she would be ready for it. Or so she thought. 
a section of the armored plates, orange light no longer shining between them, started to shake and bulge outwards. With a final thunderous crash, the plates split outwards, a cloud of smoke pouring from the hole. Everyone trained their weapons on the opening, and a short, craggy figure stepped out, looking anxious. He had a handful of sputtering machinery in his right hand, a black and viscous liquid seeping from the ends of torn cables. Within moments, he had spotted the commissar and his comrades, and with a bellow of joy, he began lumbering towards them. Upir gave a choked cry and ran past Savior to fling her arms about the rocky creature's neck. It was Chug. For all of his terrible strength, he was always gentle with those that he cared for. Even the smallest of creatures had nothing to fear from him. He could cradle his pet squirrels with a gentleness that was in direct opposition to his brawn, and his comrades knew his embraces were as safe as a child's. He patted Thea's back comfortingly, as if he understood that they had all been devastated when the dragon ate him. Maybe he did. He seemed to understand, even sense, emotions at a deeply instinctive level. It was a mistake to deem him as simple. He might not grasp complicated situations, but his ability to cut through complications to the heart of the matter was profound. It appeared he had cut to the heart of the matter this time as well. Natalia walked towards them, slowly, fighting to get her emotions under control. Relief and elation were the two uppermost, but there were plenty of others churning her insides and making her feel lightheaded and just a little sick. Rasalka was on the calm already, calling off the airstrikes. Chug found this. Bad monster not knowing Chug is tough. He held up his hand. The box he had was black, with cables and wires covering it. Through the narrowest slit at the front, Natalia could see what appeared to be a human brain, or rather, a brain, since whether it was human or not was not apparent, with wires running through it, floating in an amber liquid. Boss, boy, one of the VDV soldiers said. You ripped the damn thing's brain out. The assembled troopers began to cheer, crowding around Chug and patting him on the shoulder. Chug, initially apprehensive, smiled, beaming with pride. You did very well, Chuggy, Thea said, wiping away her tears with the back of her hands. You are Bolshoi, Jeroy. Comrade Untermensch will be to giving you medal. Chug rumbled uncertainly. Instead of medal, Chug have cookies? I will bake you many, many cookies, Thea promised. Chug's smile broadened at that. More figures stumbled through the opening that Chug had created in the dragon. After a moment of confusion and fear that it was Krieger's, everyone relaxed upon recognizing that the uniforms were that of other coalition forces. One man, an American army captain, stepped forward, shaking his head to clear it. Some bitch must have been some sort of way for them to capture prisoners. Swallowed up my entire platoon. Soon as we were in it, it put us in some sort of stasis. We could see and hear, but couldn't move. Scared the bejesus out of me. He looked over at Chug. If it weren't for your rocky buddy there, 
I don't want to think about what the Kriegers would have done with us. The stasis field didn't even hardly affect him. Just seemed to have pissed him off. The captain turned to face Natalia. We owe y'all one, ma'am. How can we help? Savior straightened. Mere minutes ago, she might have arrogantly told the Amerikansky that she had no need of him or his men. An hour ago, she would have done so with a sneer. Now... We are needing to rendezvous with Spearhead and the rest of my CCCP and Red Team, she said. And I do not think we can be getting there alone. Your assistance would be welcome and appreciated. Do not kick gift horse, Natalia Shostogovaya, she told herself. You cannot be to afford such stupidity ever again. Spearhead Group and consequently Red Team, were in trouble again. John knew that the advance had stalled. His HUD hooked up through Overwatch gave him a pretty decent battlefield awareness, and the situation was rapidly deteriorating. Every time they made a push, the Kriegers pushed back just as hard. Sometimes harder, without the Echo broadcasters that were being brought up from the rear, he knew that the line would have folded. Even with all of the artillery, the airstrikes, the guided missiles, and every available fire chucker like him, they just couldn't hit enough targets fast enough. The Kriegers were flooding this area of the city with troopers, robo-eagles, and wolves, and death spheres. At one point he saw a squadron streaking away from the city. He came to the sickening realization that they were on a heading that would lead directly to the staging area. There was nothing he could do about it at the moment, other than report it on the comm. He had his hands full as it was. Sarah touched his arm to get his attention and looked at him, her face furrowed with anxiety, her blue eyes flickering with gold. They are going to target the broadcasters, she said, her voice trembling with fear and exhaustion. Their fight with the cyborg dragon had taken nearly everything out of them for a time. That had been followed by some of the most intense fighting that John had ever seen, and they hadn't had a chance to truly recover. I know. When those are toast, our combat effectiveness is going to get cut by a whole bunch. We gotta protect those as much as we can. Otherwise, we're gonna get steamrolled. John leaned around the barrier they were using for cover, firing off a blast of plasma. Well, this can't last forever, though. We need something to start driving for the center of the city again. Another contingent of troops from the rear came to reinforce Spearhead Group. Leading them was none other than Red Savior, her Red 2 team and a mixed force of VDV and American soldiers behind her. Almost immediately, they started lending their firepower to the battle. Welcome as they were, it seemed like just another drop in the bucket. The Kriegers weren't simply rushing headlong into combat anymore. They were using cover, the personal and directional shields that the trooper armor could generate, and air support in the form of death spheres and robo-eagles. At least there aren't any more of those damn dragons. But that was only one blessing amid the mayhem. And the Kriegers knew this city. The best that the Allied forces had were the maps Vicky was generating, and only those lucky enough to be wired into Overwatch 2, and command and control, had the benefit of those. To answer the reinforcements for the Allies, the Kriegers sent some of their own. The ground troops began advancing, first throwing a volley of grenades to soften up the defensive positions. An echo telekinetic was able to deflect the majority of the grenades, but enough got through. 
Anyone caught in the blasts didn't have a chance to scream before they simply ceased to exist as anything more than a cloud of ash. Then the shielded Krieger started trudging forward. The shields prevented them from firing and slowed them down, but essentially made them invulnerable to any conventional weapons, fired from in front of them at least. A massed group of more trooper armor and unarmored Thulians followed behind the shield wall, throwing grenades and taking pot shots around the sides of the wall. Fire units, execute. That was John's signal. He and the other fire chuckers ramped up and let loose with a blast of fire at the same moment, washing the entire street in front of them with flames. The unarmored Thulians were taken out, not as neatly and cleanly as their own people had been evaporated by the energy grenades. These Kriegers screamed, some of them for quite some time. The armored troopers continued to march forward, undeterred. The Kriegers were also trying something new. John, and Sarah as well, got a sense of it before it happened. Robo-eagles swarmed over the rooftops behind the Krieger lines. Each of them were carrying a Krieger, energy shields up from the arm cannons. But these Kriegers were also strapped with... something. The forces of Spearhead Group fired at the Kriegers and Eagles, but the shields kept them largely protected. It wasn't until the first trooper dropped straight from the claws of an eagle behind the spearhead lines that John knew what they had been hooked up with. The trooper hit the ground next to one of the forwardmost echo broadcaster units. Its shields dropped, and it began firing at the surrounding soldiers. It was only able to kill a few before it was taken out, but as soon as the dead Krieger fell to the ground, an explosion like those generated by Thulian grenades, but much larger, enveloped the immediate area. The generator, two squads of soldiers, and part of a building were completely gone when the blast subsided. And the line of Kriegers surged forward, their armor no longer weakened. Goddamn suicide troopers, John cursed, spitting on the ground. They're going for the broadcasters. Focus fire on the eagles carrying troopers. We must be defending the echo broadcasters. Molotov was doing his best to rally those around him, but it seemed to be too little too late. The entire force shifted their fire upwards, attempting to take out the troopers or their eagles. The Apaches and Zoomies weren't able to get close enough to engage the suicide troopers. They were currently committed in a gigantic furball, aerial dogfight, above the city, doing their best to survive. Sarah had manifested a spear and was weighing it in her hand, then John felt her eyes on him, again. He shut off his fires for a moment and turned to her. If we combine our powers, she said tentatively. John nodded, knowing through their connection what her intent was. He grasped her sphere in both hands while she still held it. Concentrating for a moment, he wreathed his hands in flame, funneling his own fires into the spear. When he didn't think he could bear it for another moment, he let go, stepping back from her. She didn't hesitate for an instant. In the blink of an eye, she was throwing the incandescent spear as hard as she could. It flashed across the distance between them and the airborne Kriegers like a comet. And then it struck. The spear pierced straight through the energy shield of one of the lead troopers. It seemed to slow as it pushed through the shield, until it had gone completely through and lodged in the chest of the trooper. And there was the detonation, 
The suicide trooper's payload went off in a dazzling explosion of actinic energy, the sphere expanding and swallowing several of the other eagles. There were no cheers from the other soldiers, not now. There was no time and no energy to spare. Everyone continued firing, shouting orders, retrieving the wounded. They were saved, but only for the moment. Sarah dropped her hand on John's shoulder. He turned to look at her through a haze of golden light and saw her eyes blazing with that same light. The music swelled within him, and he knew, and she knew. They turned as one and left the forward line, racing together, dodging energy blasts and leaping over debris, knowing there were mere moments to spare before. The last robo-eagle carrying one of the suicide troopers was diving, hard and fast, for the last echo broadcast generator. John and Sarah were both too exhausted to take it out before it would reach its target. The battle with the dragon and the subsequent non-stop fighting had left them both utterly drained, pushing forward through sheer willpower. The Kriegers had kept coming, wave after wave. If this broadcast generator went down, then the offensive would fold. They'd be driven back. And that was if they were lucky. If they weren't lucky, if the Kriegers had another wave staged, waiting for the generator to go down, they would be slaughtered. A robo-eagle was coming, carrying a deadly payload. Bear and Untermensch were stationed at the last generator. Both of them had seen the threat and were firing their weapons at the threat, but none of it was having any effect. The submachine gun and rifle rounds simply pinged off of the shield of the Krieger and the metal hide of the eagle. RPGs streaked up from the ground, but the eagle was too fast, dodging around them, even with its burden. John watched in his mind's eye. That was the best way he could describe it. And then watched it play out in reality as Bear, glancing over to Unter quickly, dropped his rifle, and raised his gauntlets. John put on a little more speed, racing through and dodging around the troops. Next to him, but in the air, Sarah flew like the wind itself, so low to the heads of their comrades that they ducked reflexively. Pavel, using the last of the energy from the plasma chamber in his chest, fired off a thunderous bolt of concussive plasma from his energy gauntlets. The blast struck true. The eagle didn't have time to dodge around it, catching the shot full in the chest. Knocked for a loop, the eagle and the trooper it was carrying both plummeted to the ground, landing in the Krieger ranks. Less than a second later the trooper detonated, either accidentally triggering its payload or the impact having set the charges off. Dozens of Thulians were instantly vaporized, scattering their front lines. This time a ragged cry did rise amongst the coalition forces. The advancing trooper armor was scattered and disorganized, opening many of them up as targets for more conventional weapons. The advance was halted, at least for the moment. When Sarah and John reached the last broadcast generator, they found Georgie kneeling next to Pavel. The old Soviet was using a gloved hand to gently close Pavel's eyes. His gyroscopic heart, normally spinning with stored plasma, lay inert in his chest. Georgie was stony-faced, looking up to John and Sarah slowly. He ran out. The last shot. It was all he was having left. Red Savior arrived next, skidding to a halt after a dead run. 
She looked as if she had hit a brick wall. At first she had looked ecstatic, until she saw Bear on the ground unmoving. Now she looked stricken, stunned, her hands closed into fists as if she wanted to pummel something, but there was nothing to hit. John felt both shock and a moment of sudden absolute resolution. Not like Perron. I'm not losing another comrade. Never again if I can goddamned help it. But the music was still sounding in his mind, and John started to move. Almost unconsciously, he took Sarah's hand, leading her over to Bear. Unter looked to them, suddenly suspicious. John didn't pay any attention to him. Sarah looked at John blankly for a moment, and then an understanding sprang up between them, at a level too deep for words. They knelt down on either side of Pavel. As one, they placed their hands on his chest, Sarah's on top of John's. He concentrated, reaching deep into his reserves of energy. He could feel Sarah feeding him more, helping to direct and concentrate it all. He wreathed his hands in flame. It's not quite right. There. The music in his mind swelled to full, resonant chords. The fires turned from orange-yellow to white-hot plasma. Then the plasma took on the same red hue as Bear's concussive blasts. John was sweating and yet freezing at the same time, and Sarah's face was racked with the strain of what they were doing. This wasn't a blast. This was... something else. Delicate. Precise as a laser scalpel. Attuned as a violin at perfect pitch. It had to go from here to there without... without hurting anything. Slowly, the plasma faded from John's hands, somehow passing through Pavel's chest plate without harming it, into the cavity with his gyroscopic heart. The empty space filled, and then flooded the heart. The heart moved, just a little at first, as if it had been flicked with a finger. Then again. Then it made a single rotation, slowly. Another. It picked up a little speed, slowed until he was afraid it was going to stop again, picked up speed, spun in starts, before the heart finally got momentum, kept it, and started spinning in earnest. John pulled his and Sarah's hands away, extinguishing the plasma coming from them. The edges of his vision went dark, and he was barely able to catch Sarah as she fainted. She felt as light as if she was made of nothing but bones and feathers. Pavel's eyes flew open, and he sucked in one shuddering breath. Что? He looked around, confused at everyone staring at him, at Sarah's unconscious form and John. It felt to John as if he was breathing air that was too thin. He struggled to regain his composure, but couldn't seem to stop panting. Georgie was the first to speak. You were being gone, old bear. Was being the best nap I've had since the fall of Berlin. What happened? Everyone turned to look at John and Sarah. Savior in particular stared at both of them as if she didn't recognize them, as if they were dangerous, as if she wasn't sure whether they were on her side. Unter simply stared at them, 
his face still emotionless. Bear, seeing the way the others were reacting, was confused and unsettled. The commissar looked like she was about to speak, when an energy bolt whizzed past her head, causing everyone to flinch and duck down. The commissar started again, then checked herself. We are still having enemies to deal with. Old Bear, get off ass and start shooting. Georgie, keep him from taking nap again. Murdoch, deal with your woman and then get back to fighting. We need your fire. What was left unsaid was that there would most certainly be a discussion later about John and Sarah and what they had done. John wasn't looking forward to that, but he couldn't worry about it for now. You have been listening to Collision, Season 8 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. Season 8 is written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. The fourth book, Collision, is available in print and ebook in December 2014 from the amazing people at Bayon Books. For more information about the series or to listen to earlier seasons, check out www.secretworldchronicle.com. Want to chat with the authors and fellow SWC fans? Join the Secret World Chronicle group on Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening.